Today we've got an interview with an organizer of a New York City delivery workers union called Deliveristas Unidos. The interview's with our co-host Galen Mook, who happens to be the executive director of the Massachusetts Bike Coalition. Hi, Galen. Hey, Nick. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Good to hear and see you on this Zoom in the middle of a blizzard. That is, I mean, the wonders of technology. We can do it in time and space. And uh, otherwise, I would uh, be hunkering down right now. So the wonders of radio. Well, you, there is the the wonder if the power will go out. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So let's keep this quick, just in case my internet does cut out. <laughs> okay. Um, well, let's start with your bike joy for for this week. Well, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Before I get in the interview, um, so bike joy. Usually, for those who are new to the concept, we like to just bring out what is that recent kind of elation that you've been feeling, either yourself or others, or some bike related joy, because we got to remind ourselves of the. Uh, the benefits of riding along with the struggles. So bike joy is one of my favorite topics. And I think about it quite a bit, like almost all week long. This this week's bike joy actually comes from when I was out last weekend and I'm uh, zooming in from Boston. It's January, it's cold, it's icy. And we were actually out um, not on bikes, but on ice skates last Sunday, skating around a little cove on the Charles River, outdoors, beautiful. I mean, we were safe about it. Um, and there was probably a couple dozen people out playing hockey and, and skating in this old Charles River. And out comes this guy on a bike on studded tires. And he hops out from the mountain bike trail and just jumps right onto the ice and is just pedaling around wow. on the ice. And so I go up to him. It turns out I know him from the advocacy circles. Um, and I'm like getting this beautiful video. I asked him if I could shoot video of him. This awesome video of him riding on the Charles River and I'm on skates. So it's kind of like smooth and seamless. And it's uh -huh. for those who are interested, um, especially those who are listening in from LA, go to Mass Bike on our Instagram and you can check out this video that I'm talking about. But it's just like one of those like, oh yeah, biking in the winter can be absolutely beautiful. Um, so, so, so you got like you got like a tracking shot on your ice skates. Yeah, exactly. And this guy's got studded tires and he was like, I didn't even think the ice would be this thick and that's great. And I'm getting out there. It was like such a cool little moment. Cool. So go to Mass Bike to see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's my bike joy. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, my bike joy was looking at my bike as I left the house this week. <laughs> so like it, it's been like but, 15 degrees here. Like, yeah. <laughs> so this is where I'm at now and it's beautiful and it's cold and I'm going to be doing some stuff, hopefully, for a mass bike in the area I'm in, too. Um, oh, yeah. And, um, well, your, your workplace in, in the Pittsfield area, which is like the hill towns in Western Mass, um, we need some help there. We recently were working with the city to build in new, uh, like, parking-protected bike lanes, and it's the first time the city has had bike lanes. There's a bunch of back bike lash, as expected, in the newspaper and a bunch of, you know, angry um, know-nothings or writing op-eds in the local paper and just stirring up the pot in the city council. Now the city's behind us, but what I'm hoping to do next through your help is um, find the riders who will be benefited from that bike lane, uh, go to the businesses who are gonna get increased business like the coffee shops and, and the stores mm -hmm. that are in the downtown area and help tell the story of why making better biking is better for everybody. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, not just the people who are riding, but just the whole city will benefit. Traffic will be slower. Streets will be safer. People will be able to cross. And you'll mm -hmm. get the increase of bike traffic, which brings up the economic level. Um, and what people forget is there's a lot of 
carless users who live in rural areas just because of cost. Um, what I learned this past week is that the car ownership is actually lower in rural areas than it is in urban areas based off people who can't afford it. Huh. So like a lot of people think, oh, bike lanes are just for cities. Bike lanes are just for Boston. It's like, actually, no, people who really depend on getting around without a car, especially in places that don't have good public transit, really need our support a little bit more. So what you're going to be doing, Nick, is just literally flagging down people who are riding, handing out bike lights, introducing them to the concept of the bike lane, hearing their stories, maybe getting a photo or two. And so then Mass Bike can help share those stories to counteract those uh, those haters who just don't understand what's going on in their city. Sounds good. I was born to do that. <laughs> I know you're really into it. I really appreciate you. Um, and I, uh, it, so this is a, a podcast out of Los Angeles. We have people working on uh, Los Angeles stories now, but right now we're kind of, this is an East coast episode. So bear with us in Los Angeles. But you want to give us, since you are the executive director of the Massachusetts Bike Coalition, you want to give us a quick update? Uh, yeah, real quick on Mass Bike. So we do statewide work, um, which means we do a lot of policy work with the DOT. Um, a big change that they've been doing, um, they have now a zero death policy where they're trying to reframe how they treat how the roads work. No longer about how many cars can get through, but it's about how safe areas are. And that's mm -hmm. literally like, antithetical to a lot of the way that the training of these engineers have come into their business. So it's a directive from the top that's kind of supported from the bottom. But the goal here is that with this new policy shift and focus, um, the DOT over time, I'm sure it's going to take a while, will start to rethink its design guidelines, um, how it handles street width, how it handles speed. And that just was launched this past week, um, had a great talk with the Secretary of Transportation, um, Secretary Tesla, Mass DOT, oh, wow. and they're like totally in um, and they get it. They understand it. Um, and so the goal is that, I mean, the DOT will help make roads safer, which usually for the past decades, we've been like trying to fight road engineers to, to do that. Right. That's a quick update. And a second quick update while I have you, um, it's legislative season in Massachusetts. Um, so if you're hearing this, um, check out like in Massachusetts, check out massbike.org and our legislation page. It's just slash legislation. We have two significant bills we're trying to get pushed. One would be the three foot passing um, truck side guards, vulnerable road users. It's called an act to reduce traffic fatalities. It would like literally save lives out there. And the other big bill is about defining electric bicycles so that they're separate from mopeds so that e-bikes can use pathways and get promotion and also regulations. And um, those two bills have a lot of momentum, but anybody in Massachusetts, if you wanna just call up your state legislator, ask the state house to push these through. Um, we need to get these out um, like now, essentially, in order for the, the bills to keep moving. So all the info is on massbike.org, but we have a legislative push right now and we're supporting the DOT zero death policy. Great, doing really good work. And I also wanna say we're out of Valley Free Radio in Florence. Boop, boop. So yeah, and now we're gonna go to an interview you did with a leader of Delivery Unidos, the delivery bike uh, Delivery People's Union. Yep. Um, yeah, this is really cool. I'll give a, I, when we intro it in the, in the interview, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. But uh, what I really want to note here is that, you know, this is about New York City, um, but pertains to almost all the cities where people are depending on deliveries. Um, and the fact that delivery bikers are the lowest of the rung um, 
not only are they in danger when they're riding their bikes on the roads, but they're not um, treated as contract workers. They're really just gig workers and get zero support from the, um, the, the industries that depend on them. And so what this push is, is just to build basic human dignity into some of their work. Like, are they able to use the restrooms at the restaurants they're picking up from? Um, are they able to um, have protections from police um, or if, you know, their bikes get stolen or would that be considered, um, you know, it, it just it just treats them as workers in an environment where they are essential workers, especially in COVID. And it's so important. And one of the cool things I really want to flag for this, um, we talked to Josh, who's one of the organizers. Um, they have a lot of momentum behind it and a lot of push. But it's also like I really want to remember the humanity of the people who are doing the work out there. And I think that's something that I want people to think about when they're listening to this. And there's certain quotes that Josh has, like one of my favorites is he talks about how when you're a delivery rider, you get to know the rhythm of the streets uh, and you get to kind of feel the pulse of the city. Um, and so just think about that when you're going through here about this is about policy, this is about workers' rights, but it also is just about, you know, remembering that this is a human and what can we do to support the, the basic humanity of people in the world. All right. And then we're going to go to an interview with Megan Ramey in Oregon. And oh, she's I love actually, Megan. We play about. That's great. Yeah. So she's going to, she actually suggested I contact you the first time. So that's how that happened. So here we go with Josh. First off, can you just run through your name, your affiliation, and where you're zooming in from? My name is Josh. I am a worker organizer with Los Deliveristas Unidos, and I'm in Brooklyn, New York right now. Excellent. Well, thanks, Josh. Thanks for calling into Bike Talk here. I wonder if I could just give you the platform for a few minutes to talk about the issues that you're facing with the delivery workforce in New York and just to kind of get members who are tuning in. If they don't know anything, just get them up to speed on what your issues are. So Los Deliveristas Unidos is a collective of delivery workers in New York City. We started in 2020 during the peak of the pandemic when everything was shut down and nobody was outside except for the delivery workers because everybody was inside and ordering food. And we were being praised by the city and by the media as essential workers, but nobody was actually giving us the justice that we deserved. So we started organizing and we started bringing workers together. Starting at the end of 2020, we started doing a couple of rallies in September of 2021. Um, we got some major legislative wins. The first one, which just went into effect yesterday, was if you can believe that this wasn't a guaranteed right already, the right to use the bathroom at restaurants that are picking up food from. Public bathrooms are a little bit of a contentious issue in New York City, and any place that does not allow the general public to use the bathroom usually would not allow the people who are picking up food from those restaurants to go inside, walk past the customers, and use the bathroom. Other legislation that we got passed included a new standard for setting a minimum pay. That doesn't go into effect until January of next year. The city still has to work out a lot of the details for that. We also got some more transparency over tips and a little bit more flexibility with controlling our delivery routes. That's where we're at right now on the legislative front. We are organizing and expanding our outreach to more workers. The last number that I've seen quoted is that there's 65,000 people doing food delivery in New York City on a typical busy day. Honestly, the number could be higher than that. This industry is absolutely massive. If you look outside, the delivery bikes have become as much of a staple of New York City as the yellow taxi in the last couple of years. And yeah, our mission is to continue bringing more workers together, sharing resources amongst ourselves, because this is a isolating job that we work. We all kind of operate autonomously or in small groups that we form ourselves. 
and we believe that we are stronger together. So the more resources that we can share, the better. And then to continue making a statement on the legislative front, we are finally getting included in the conversation over things like bike safety and access to public space, which despite us being a huge proportion of bike users and just the general workforce who is hanging around in public spaces, we have been largely excluded from that conversation until we organized the points in which the policymakers couldn't endure us anymore. Delivery work in the city is mostly done by people who don't look like me. It's mostly immigrants who don't always speak the best English are easy for the city to marginalize. So we are organizing so we can't be marginalized anymore. Okay, cool. So can you just run through the number of delivery workers just so we can reiterate that for our listeners? How many people are we talking about out there in New York City on a given basis? I've seen the number 65,000 floated around. That's so crazy. And you have been organizing for two years, it sounds like. Did this predate the COVID essential worker conversation? Have there been delivery workers' rights that have kind of led up to the movement that you're in right now? No movement exists in a vacuum. There's always a history that we're building off. The organization which we operate underneath the Workers' Justice Project has existed since 2015. But this current movement has largely been a product of the pandemic and the year 2020. The reason I ask that is because it definitely seems like delivery workers, especially food delivery, became such a prominent need during COVID because people who could arguably work from home didn't want to leave their house. And that left all of the, quote, essential workers to have to face basically dealing with the pandemic of a 10 million person city. Yeah, I think it made us more visible for sure. How much of a need food delivery was outside of those first two months of the pandemic, I think is debatable. If you're working from home, you usually can go outside and there's going to be food within a two block radius of your house if you're in New York City. But it's a convenience thing for the most part. And for better or worse, that's just kind of the way that society is going. And technology makes things convenient. Once people have the ability to get food delivered with a push of a button, they're not going to stop doing it. Yep, totally. And definitely kind of exacerbates, in my opinion, the income differential, people who can take luxury and people who can't afford luxury. Absolutely. And another thing that the pandemic changed in the industry is that this is really when the delivery apps, who is specifically Los Deliveristas Unidos represents, came into play as pretty much the only force in the market at this point. The pandemic saw a lot of small independent restaurants either going out of business or struggling to survive. So the first staffers that they cut were their in-house delivery people. Before the pandemic, you had the option of ordering through Uber Eats or calling your local restaurant and they would have their own staff to do it. Now there are a lot fewer restaurants which have their own staff just because the tech companies gobbled up some more of the market share during the pandemic. And a lot of my comrades in deliveries to Zunidos used to work in restaurants before the pandemic, but now they're forced to work in the apps. Yeah, I have so many questions around that. But maybe just to get back to the essential worker COVID conversation, were there any protections built into the fact that you are interfacing with so many essentially strangers? You're going into buildings, you're traveling around a very dense city. Was part of the concern of the legislative demands some sort of COVID protections along with the right to use bathrooms and a minimum wage? We would like those, but we haven't gotten them yet. We've been excluded from any type of COVID sick leave because we're gig workers. If you get sick or think you might have COVID and you can't come to work the next couple of days, then too bad. You just don't make any money. 
the infrastructure networks that we use, like restaurants, building lobbies, it's up to the place how they handle COVID safety. Sometimes you're going to go into a lobby, you're going to be like shoulder to shoulder with people not wearing masks, and you have to pick up the order. There's really nothing you can do about it. And then broader safety, safety on the streets is a big issue. In 2021, there were 14 delivery workers who were killed on the job. 12 of them were killed in traffic accidents, and two of them were murdered while being robbed for their bikes. A way to stop that from happening, yeah, is absolutely higher than the next list of demands. That's stark reality, man. I'm so sorry of the situation. I can't even express how shocking that might be. The safety aspect of things is scary when you think about these are people's lives out there. Can you go into a little bit of the conversations and the reception that you had with the powers that be? And were these city legislators like city council that you're appealing to? Or are you going all the way up to Albany and trying to rally some of the folks in the state house? Or where does the political levers lie? And how interested are they in hearing about the human concerns that you're facing out there in the streets? So all of the legislation that we've got passed so far has been on the city council level. We have not been to Albany yet, but Chuck Schumer and AOC both spoke at our most recent rally that we had on Sunday. Wow. Um, have some support on the federal level as well. Cool. Do you have separate demands on a state level versus a federal level versus city level? Or is it all just more or less coming down to, hey, we're humans and we have these basic needs as being able to live? I think that about sums it up. Obviously, there's different sets of laws that each level of government can pass. Most of it's probably going to get done on the city level. This past weekend, it sounded like it was large and it was well received, but can you paint the scene for us? We had a table in Times Square. We had elected officials. We had Chuck Schumer, AOC, a good chunk of the new progressives in city council standing by us. We had a few dozen workers coming together. We basically summed up the campaigns that we've been doing for the last couple of months and announced our plan for the next few months, which is to continue to grow our outreach across the city and make our voices heard. Cool. Is there anything you want our listeners to know about how to help you grow or plug in or can we follow you and get a sense of where we can support you and for the message? Los Deliveristas Unidos. You can follow that page on Facebook and Instagram. We are taking donations. We're a completely grassroots movement. We need money to keep our staff and to keep putting on events for the workers. Do you see this growing into other cities? New York's obviously the largest so much need, but do you see this overlapping with what you're hearing from Boston, Chicago, Worcester, or elsewhere? Absolutely. There's nothing special about New York City other than it being the biggest market. And there's really nothing special that we did other than a bunch of workers decided that they wanted to come together, pull their voices, and see what they could accomplish. And if the workers in other cities follow that same model, I'm sure that they could have success too. That's awesome. I'd love to elevate the concerns and let other people know. So I'm in Boston right now, zooming in. We have a relatively small bike messenger scene and kind of even smaller bike delivery scene, I think just because it's not quite as packed and maybe it's more driving and less biking that does the deliveries. But as we see the need to reduce congestion and reduce greenhouse gases, we're as a city trying to promote bike delivery as an answer because everybody's getting everything delivered from a roll of toilet paper to the Thai food to the baby formula. Everything is coming and it's not tenable to have 15 Amazon trucks just in one neighborhood. You really need to get out there and get bikes out there. Is there any lessons learned as the city starts to have conversations, things that you wish the city had done at the forefront of the conversation? So we have to like fight so much in a hard scrabble, but that maybe we could, at least in Boston, I'm thinking in, in our advocacy, lay down as some initial thought processes as we influence our city. 
So New York has the advantage of it's always been a city where a car is not the fastest way around. So as soon as the demand for delivery popped up, people started trying to make money and they used the fastest vehicles that they could have. That was when it really exploded. It was e-bike. At the time, they were actually illegal. Class three e-bikes were only legalized in New York City midway through 2020. And I think that one thing that the city could have done better is that until now, we've been largely excluded from the conversations about bike infrastructure. E-bikes have kind of awkwardly fit into bike lanes, which weren't designed for them, and car lanes, which weren't designed for them. Now that the technology for e-bikes is there, and we understand that in most dense urban cores, it really is the fastest way around. If cities start designing lanes specifically built for e-bikes, that's going to encourage a lot more people to be riding e-bikes and for more of the workforce to shift to them. Because once the infrastructure is set up for you to be on an e-bike safely, it really is the fastest way around a dense urban center. Are you finding that you're getting a seat at the table now, or is that still something that's in the future and you're really focusing on like using a bathroom as a basic need? I think we're starting to get a seat but we still have a long ways to go. Awesome. Are you coordinating with other advocacy organizations? I'm thinking in New York, there's transportation alternatives, family first, safe streets, and probably some of the other heavy hitters. Yeah, we're starting to work with them. We've had a couple of fatalities on the job, unfortunately, and those organizations did show up to pay respects. Yeah, it's going to be so tough, man. I wonder if you could just describe for our audience kind of what it's like out there to be a delivery rider. Is there the day of the life, just to kind of give an understanding of the successes and challenges. I don't just mean to be negative, but what are some of the joys that you might experience out there when you're out there on a bike? I started doing this job simply because I love to ride and it was a way to get paid doing it. it. Turned into my main source of income, but that was kind of an accident. You become part of the rhythm of the streets in a city that's as fast paced as New York, kind of this beating pulse of energy that can't really describe until you're in traffic with everything flowing around you. But that works both ways. You have to be alert at all times. You have to make sure that you're not going to get killed on the road like so many of us have, that you stay safe in other ways. Sometimes you might get an order to a neighborhood that you would rather not be going into, especially if you're working the late night shift. Once that happens, unfortunately, there's not much you can do about it. So that's another concern that we unfortunately have to deal with. Yeah, it's scary to think of people getting killed and robbed just for making a drop off on a bike. It's a stark reality. Those e-bikes are valuable. They sell for about $2,000 and there's no protection if you lose your bike. So people are going to be hesitant to give them up. I wonder if you could speak a little bit towards those who are even more vulnerable than you. And for our audience, Josh here has got a beard and he's a dude and he's white. So I imagine you have protections and safety there, but your folks, your coworkers, the undocumented folks, the women who are riding and others, what are some specific concerns that you want to share about how they face the world? I mean, I can't speak for anyone's perspective other than my own, but I do understand that most of my coworkers have all of the dangers that I experience. They experience the same thing, but much worse. Access to the bathroom. There's a lot of restaurants in which they would let me use the bathroom, but they would not let the other delivery workers use the bathroom. Yeah, that's a good example. But it sounds like you're in a fight for basic human dignity, in a sense. Yeah, I would agree with that. We've been treated as if we don't exist, as if Uber and Grubhub and DoorDash just exploded onto the market. And 
from the customer's end, it's like, oh, this is easy. I can just push a button and have food delivered. But from the ends of the workers, this was a job which some of the most vulnerable people who don't always have the best access to the rest of the labor market just picked up on as a way to make money and survive. And without any infrastructure or laws to protect them, we were out there making money and keeping the city running. Such a valuable service. If there's something that you want to end on or just kind of share for those of you who are tuning in, who use these apps or who might use services that Josh and his coworkers provide, is there something that we might want to keep in mind as we go about pressing deliver? Tip in cash. There's been reports, I can't confirm or deny them, that Sometimes when a customer says they tipped a certain amount, the worker ends up receiving less than that. We don't really know what's going on behind the computer screen. If you give cash, you know that that's going into the hands of a worker who just delivered your food. And always be patient. It's kind of hard to tell what the real world conditions are for the person who's making the delivery when you're sitting at home on your phone waiting for it to come. We're always going to be hustling because we're paid by the delivery. So if the food is late, probably because of something that we couldn't control. Always give a thumbs up rating or a five-star rating or whatever the high rating on the platform you use are. Because if our ratings aren't at the highest level, we lose access to shifts. And that makes it hard to keep working. Is there a thought about independent firms coming out? I know it's impossible probably to think about battling a Grubhub-sized company, but is there any independence that can be brought out into the industry? I don't know. I can't really answer that right now. Yeah, that's fair. That's a big one. Well, cool. I don't want to keep you too long and I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing, but to recap the big things that you've succeeded at is to just get the basic right to restrooms when you're at the restaurants that you're picking up from. And the next big battle is to get a minimum wage. Is that right? Yeah. How much the legislation is in place, but how it's going to be enforced and what it's going to look like is still going to be determined over the course of the next year. And then if that is a success, what's the next step and the next step after that? I think we're still figuring that out. Well, keep us in touch. We'd love to, one, learn from the experiences that's going on in New York City and to support you however we can. And I think if there's solidarity that can be made in fellow cities, I think this is going to be a pertinent issue, especially as the pandemic continues and traffic gets worse and cities rely on bicycle deliveries. Starting with basic human dignity seems like such a no-brainer. And I'm, I'm really proud of you and the organizing that your organization has been able to do. So I wish you a lot of success and I encourage all of our listeners to check it out. Just one more time, is there a website or something that people can go to to throw donations your way? Los Deliveristas Unidos on Facebook and Instagram. Cool. Thank you, Josh. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Going back to why Bike Train was born, I got kind of sick of the chicken and egg argument with leadership saying, well, nobody's biking, so why should we build infrastructure? I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to get people biking then, like especially kids. So that's kind of how Bike Train was born. Um, and then, yeah, Spidey Sense definitely plays into the daily <laughs> routine, which is like kind of organized chaos, but... Mm-hmm. And so you approached from your tweet, it said you approached a line of idling cars and it was like a half hour wait of these cars. Well, not yet. That happens this week. Um, That was my poll was like, should I approach uh, a line of idling cars? Because um, I see it every day 
that, especially with COVID, um, I know the principal is a big cheerleader um, of the bike train and walking buses that I started. He said that his uh, number of kids that get driven to school and get bus to school, the percentage has flipped in this past COVID year. And so it used to be 15% got driven and 45% got, were taking the bus. And now it's 45% are driven and 15% take the bus. And so you can imagine what the drop-off in the pickup line looks like. And it's just like, I, more than anything, I mean, like my sort of like climate change, like buzzers go off, but more than anything, I just look at the people sitting in those cars and my heart just hurts because as a parent, I know I have way better things to do with my time that are more valuable. And so I'm more interested in talking to them to see how I can help them not do that anymore. And like either be working or doing whatever makes them happy. Um, so that was kind of the impetus for that, that poll. Mm -hmm. And, well, but the so bike train was actually born last I guess April of this past year. The the what was born? The bike train. How how so you do do a bike train? Yes. So um, kind of starting back to give you the story. The so in let's see November no sorry October of 2020 which was um, I don't know if you guys recognize. Uh, International Walk and Bike to School Day, but it was that I, October 5th, I think, and the principal approached me and said, oh my gosh, we miss seeing the kids' faces because they had been distance learning for six months, I think, at that point. And he's like, can we do something like for Bike to National, like Walk and Bike to School Day to get them in front of our faces, but be socially distanced and I was like, yes, let's organize a bike parade. So I organized a couple different routes within the city led by different people. And um, we had over like 150 people that did that bike parade. And the teachers and the principal were literally crying. Um, <laughs> as was I, because I was like, oh my gosh, like these kids are not only seeing each other for the first time in a long time, because there's all these like, you know, the, whatever the pods were during COVID, like there's so many kids that didn't like see each other at all. And so, and then they were seeing their teachers um, in real life. And so it was super emotional. Um, a lot of parents there. So that kind of laid the groundwork for the bike train when it got going in, I guess, um, the following April, when we went back to school in person, the principal knew it was going to be congested with vehicles. And he's like, can you get this going? I was like, of course. So I organized um, a couple of routes based on the barriers of, um, there were a couple of major infrastructure 
um, like intersections that were barriers. So that was my two different bike trains. And it got going and like we had regularly like 20 kids on one train, 10 kids on the other. And it was just such a great, like every single day there was like a joyful moment. And I'm not going to lie. There were moments where I was like up at night thinking like, God, that kid could have died that day um, because of the infrastructure issue that we have. So um but overwhelmingly it was joy. And so it was a no brainer to start it again this fall. And I added a walking bus, got a grant from Oregon department of transportation, um, for $20,000 to expand it, include education within the PE class. Um, and then do a demonstration school street. Do are you familiar with this school street? Yeah. No. Okay, some people call it a thrive zone. Um, but yeah, London really kind of started um, making this well known in the advocacy world last year. They essentially shut down all of the neighborhood streets around the school. So you mm-hmm. can't drive up and park or drop off your kid. It's like a safe zone. So I did that with um, a couple of streets. Um, as a demonstration on International Welcome Back to School Day this year. And it was a huge success. Um, so many parents were like, uh, this is so simple. You just put up plastic barricades. Why can't we just do this every day? Um, so city council knows about it. And we're going through a safe routes to school process, um, like a master plan for infrastructure and they're definitely going to adopt that um a school street is a permanent thing what's what's the name of your town again hood river oregon yeah and, just, um, just to so, give you and, some background on uh hood river is a really sweet little spot i call it my oxymoronic utopia um we moved here from boston in 2016 because mostly to do with climate change resiliency. Like I can kind of see what's coming down the pike in the next, you know, 15, 20 years. And I wanted to be somewhere where I have clean water and access to like, I'm sorry to be like a little dystopian, but access to food and good soil for growing food. And um, so besides that, we can live a carless lifestyle um, near a wild place. And that was important to me with my daughter, mm-hmm. but it's the Columbia river gorge. It's one of the most beautiful places in America. If you've never um, looked at pictures right between Mount hood and Mount Adams and St. Helens and um, most like waterfalls per capita um, in, in an area, it's just like, it's where they shoot like swimsuit model. Um <laughs> uh like pages um only the water is probably 50 degrees um but Mm. it's it's really really pretty i highly recommend you coming to take a trip up here but yeah yeah very small town though seven thousand people and so how hard was it to shut down streets for oh it was super easy like compared to i also led 
our first open streets event but compared to that it was like the city had me fill out an application that was probably it took me five minutes to fill out it was a 96 dollars permit which i paid for through my grant and they gave me all the barricades and cones i needed through their department of public works and I mean, it was like a week turnaround time in the permit and that was it. And the the city council now is going to probably treat it like a farmer's market permit where it's like a once a year thing and it just happens. Um, But yeah, it was, it was great because all the little friction points that you, I don't know if you guys have kids um, and Yes. And you like take your kid to school and you see these drop-off lines and then the parents like skirt those drop-off lines and drop their kids off somewhere. They're not supposed to be dropping them off or they sit there and idle in their car next to you. And you're, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like breathing those fumes. And then the engine, I mean, there was like a diesel truck that I had to like, can you please turn your truck off? Because we can't even hear each other. Like, and the kids are all around you. Um, mm-hmm. So all that friction with vehicle related issues was gone. And it was just joy. I mean, you know, open streets events. It was just like parents talking to one of their kids playing in the street. It was the way before and after school should be. And so in this small town, you you have a long line of, of parents. And... So it was for how many days did you do this? For the school street, it was just the one day permit. Um, but it should be made permanent coming up um, with our adoption of a safe routes to school plan. So every day, morning drop off, afternoon pickup. You could have this every day. And so parents drop their kids off like what, a block away? There is a different uh, drop-off line. There's a different street area. It wouldn't be like a I'm you know baby steps. <laughs> unfortunately, um, it's only two streets around the school, but it's a very important two streets because it's the walking biking entrance um, to the school. Whereas the um, vehicle drop-off lines are on the other side of the school. But what you had was parents who didn't want to wait in those lines and going down the walking and biking streets and picking up their kids there. And so the principal was having to talk to those same vehicles and same parents over and over again, pulling out his hair. And um, yeah, Um, that's why I was like, oh my gosh, I got to help with this. And so your grant is for not just this. Yeah, my grant is to like essentially be a coordinator for the bike train and the walking bus, the PE classes, like right now in Hood River County, no schools have on bike education. Um, kids don't know hand signals or it's just basic. Like they either, they bike in the driveway or their parents, I mean, I would say, and I, we haven't even gotten to my role as um, the founder of Bike About, but I have traveled to 
over 30 plus cities, bike friendly cities. And I would like bet that Hood River has the most bikes per capita, but we are all recreational um, mountain biking, road biking. So these kids have like grown up on mountain bikes, encouraged to be like crazy. And then I'm reeling them back in and being like, okay, so this is how we actually have to unfortunately ride in the road. Cause like the fun is over. It's kind of, it's like a weird position to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I'm just trying to teach them how to essentially, um, get to where they're going safely. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's an, it's an ongoing like bike education. Um, we have at least uh, maybe a couple people in LA who do more or less things along the line of what you're doing. Like uh, Jim Shanman, he does safe routes to school. Um, he also has bike classes for kids. Great. Um, I would love to talk to him and um, because I'm about to write a job description for a full-time person. And so but is safe is safe routes to school like a program that it's just sort of prepackaged or can you describe no. yeah um no okay so there's three different um and these are all based on grants so um the Oregon Department of Transportation offers first off it's like a kind of a stair steppy program where you apply and they give you a professional consultant. I'm sure you know Alta. Mm-hmm. Planning, yes. Okay, so our local Alta office does all the safe routes to school master planning, and so it's like imagine um, a bike network plan, but specifically for kids walking and biking to school. And so it's um, looks like. Um, you know, just like a really nice Google map of all the desire lines that were missing um, that and they identify what the programming um, gaps are like the education grants or the education gaps. And then once you finish that program, which we're about to finish, then you can qualify to hire a full-time person to go to all the schools within your district, get on bike education and walking education within the PE class um do all the you know the national bike to school day all those like fun events and then um and then once you kind of graduate out of that or you have somebody then they start giving you money for actual infrastructure improvements Hmm. um which is where the real money comes in and that is what i'm desperately because right now i'm just i'm all in the infrastructure game like the reason we don't have kids and people biking here is because we don't have any uh, really nice separated infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's kind of like the overview of like essentially the Oregon state safe routes to school program. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's like, that's one of the hats I wear and that's probably the most passionate <laughs> hat I wear. Cause I just, I really just want to see kids being free um, like they used to be. Yeah. Um, I, I know that uh, well, there's some really 
cataclysmic percentage, right? That statistic about how the percentages have changed from how many kids used to bike and walk in the past to how many do now. Do yeah. It used to be like, I think 50% of kids used to bike and walk to school. Um, some were bust, you know, and then, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know what the percentage of kids that were driven to school, but the parents just didn't have time for that, like back then. And for some reason, I don't know, it's become something that monopolizes parents' time is, and it's not just school. It's like, I see parents here making star-shaped patterns all over the city to get their kids to after-school activities. Hmm. And we're much, much smaller than LA, but I mean, it's gotta be happening on LA on a, just like a crazy scale. Um, oh yeah. So I think if we really want to solve our congestion and traffic problem in cities, we have to go after the parents and go after um, the kids and fostering independence and kid-friendly cities. Yeah. Um, well, it's good that you're doing this. And so what's bike about? So bike about, um, <laughs> I had to clarify that it's spelled without the E. So it looks like Bic about, but, um, <laughs> it is just a travel site that inspires two wheel tourism. So, um, we have about, yeah, a little over 30 travel guides for North Americans, best bike friendly cities, towns, and places, um, and best bike rides that are curated by locals. And then just blog posts on how to hack things like transportation with your bike that really aren't public knowledge unless you really dig for it. Like for example, um, you know, Bolt Bus. Um, I don't know if they're actually, sorry, West Coast. They are one of the few bike-friendly buses. And so um, you would never know that unless you dig through all the fine print. So that's the kind of uh, really nice information that we try and share to help making like uh, traveling with your bike or renting bikes when you get to a city, who are the great bike rental places that have a box bike that you can put your kid in once you get there. And then what are all the awesome places to eat, drink and sightsee along bike routes? So it's not really about the bike. It's just about seeing cities on bikes, which I would argue is probably one of the best ways besides walking. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's your experience on Twitter? Like, like, whoa, how, how have you, uh, how have you been experiencing bike Twitter? See anything interesting lately? Yeah, no, I, um, what's really well, there's, I'm going to start with the depressing and then um, go to the, the happy place. But um, in terms of depressing, <laughs> the whole like huge truck thing and or the skyrocketing pedestrian fatality rates is just um, blowing my mind. And that's really something that I get. Um, and I guess that's beyond bike Twitter. That's um, 
human mobility Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. And it really, I read a series of books this past year as part of a book club. And one of them was Right of Way by Angie Schmidt, I believe. Is that her name? Yeah. Um, and I was just, I was crying every single, the beginning of every single chapter. I don't know. Did you ever watch Six Feet Under? Uh, not really. Okay. So beginning of Six Feet Under, there was a death every episode. And that's what Right of Way felt like, except it was actual, like, real person. And I could totally put myself in those shoes, especially one about Atlanta, because I lived there for 10 years. And um, that that book really moved me in a way that <laughs> something uh, that reading, you know, books about urban planning haven't, but it's really like that discourse on sort of the bike Twitter universe is autonomous vehicles, big vehicles, um, where kind of where we're headed. Like, I'm hoping it's like about to stop. Um, but then in terms of the positive I think the e-bike just is dominating the conversation and how it's been such a energizing force for good in our advocacy. Like, so for example, um, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, this group called the Oregon Environmental Council organized a series of policymaker e-bike rides throughout the state. And we were the kind of the Columbia Gorge contingent and had, I had our mayor, members of our city council, members of our county commission and, um, and our actually our state rep. And so there was a lot of like big people there and none of them had ridden an e-bike before. It was like a 68 degree, beautiful fall day, the Columbia Gorge, this bike trail that we took them on between here it's like, I call it the best under 10 mile bike ride in the U S it's just completely gorgeous, like a geological sort of marvel. And they had like an amazing time. There was actually like a couple there that was on their first e-bike ride. That was kind of like, you know, passing us, falling behind us, passing us. And they took our picture at one point and we were talking about, we were doing these mini talks and I was talking about how electric bikes are like cheating at life. Like they're not cheating because you actually burn more calories. There's studies that prove you burn more calories and lose long-term weight loss, like sustainably. And I was like, they're cheating at life because you feel like you have this golden ticket to like happiness. And she like, yelled out like yes oh my god that is exactly how i feel and she started crying in front of all these policymakers and said this is exactly how i want to live the end of my the rest of my life is doing this right here um and this would have never happened without an electric bike so it was like i was looking around and just like do people think i planted her like because this is unbelievable and then um and then we all rode back and it was just such a great ride and then the very next day my mayor who was on the ride bought an e-bike and i was just like wow. oh, 
should I have like set a stretch goal that my mayor, that somebody was going to buy an e-bike the next day because it'll like, it, it's almost like guaranteed to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. so, and she was so, she said it like changed her life, that experience. So what I see just as such a positive, like, oh my gosh, people are finally like realizing it's like, we don't even have to do anything. They just sell themselves. Um, like policy people are realizing that e-bikes can solve so many problems from like affordable housing, people living, you know, kind of like suburbia sort of um, exurb lifestyle and the e-bike helps them get someplace without a car to obviously climate change and health, but also just like, you know, community like re-knitting that fabric of community together where they see each other every day start talking to one another that's like i think my biggest takeaway from yeah bike twitter on the positive side all right cool well keep putting out those polls was that your first was that do you do that occasionally or is that how is that one of the things you do no, I don't like, um, <laughs> I didn't, um, know that people were going to be so interested in that. And did you see what was so fascinating about it? It was like, a lot of people thought I was saying like smart or stupid, like as in the people in the cars are smart or stupid. Um, and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like me approaching the vehicles, like, and, you know, trying to engage them about different different options for them is that smart or stupid because Mm -hmm. living in Boston having so I mean I had over a hundred conversations with people in bike lanes that were parked in the bike lane and it was like you become like kind of a sorry referencing another show kind of like Ted Lasso ninja like mind trick ninja at getting people to do what you want but leaving it in a very good situation where you didn't ruin their day and that's like a gift and so god getting people to move out of the bike lane is hard but i think talking to them about freeing up their time is going to be a lot easier so yeah that's what the bike poll was about or that that that's what that poll was about but i'll do i'll do more and i'll definitely report back on the outcome of what happens when i actually talk to people in their cars yeah, I want to, it would be interesting if you could do some kind of, uh, I mean, I would love to get an audio of that, of some of that. Okay, yeah, I was gonna, I don't want to like fan the flames on any conversations, but it would be really nice to record some of the, you know, the positive ones. Um just like I wish I would have recorded some of the, you know, e-bike ride with the policymakers and watching those little light bulb smiles go off. But yeah. so maybe we could get a, like a live, uh, some live audio that you could share with us. Oh, sure. I'll try. That'd be awesome. Yeah. You're going to like be a reporter now. <laughs> I'll try. Yeah. For like a very small town that's, you know, uh, hopefully it scales to, to LA. Um, but I think there's never any harm in talking to people in a civilized way about just how you can help. So, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not in LA. I started in LA and I just moved to 
near um do you know florence massachusetts no where is that it's right next to northampton which you probably know oh yes okay and they have a uh, little radio station called valley free radio that we're going to start broadcasting from okay awesome i can't wait to tell galen about this yeah you should should connect with galen muck of um w um mbr and uh the mit radio station that also does a bike talk so it's literally called bike talk yes that's bizarre i feel like wednesdays or tuesdays i can't remember at mit yes okay wow yeah, I'll um, introduce you guys. Um, you guys would really like talking to one another. Oh, very good. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, um, uh, thank you so much for, I'm honored. Thank yeah. you for reaching out and I'll report back, um, hopefully with audio. <laughs> All right. All right. Then we'll see you on Twitter. Awesome. All right. All later. Right. Later. Bye.